Welcome to The Wisdom Show, a gathering place for the world's leading experts in the fields of human potential, spirituality, personal development, health, relationships, and more. Join us as we evolve together to the highest expression of our lives. And now, your host, Gene Swan. Welcome, everyone. As many of you know, we're living in an era in which millions of people sense that this is an extraordinary time, that human consciousness is shifting, and that we're at a crossroads and we must heal ourselves and our planet. Our special guest today is literally helping to change the world and unite people in the shift in global consciousness from instability to cooperation and peace. Our guest, Howard Martin, played a key role in launching the Global Coherence Initiative to create positive global change, and he is co-author of The HeartMath Solution, which has a rare combination of scientific research and emotional wisdom. It also provides many techniques to help us live more heart-centered lives, and Howard is going to be sharing one of those powerful techniques with us today, as well as the paradigm-shifting research that he and his organizations have been doing into the magnificent power of of the heart. So welcome, Howard Martin. Gene, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you today, and I want to say hello to everyone that's listening, wherever you're listening from, you know, all around the world, I'm sure. Yes, 33 countries, as a matter of fact, Howard, we have subscribers in. Now, I found out something as we were speaking briefly earlier that you've been involved in the consciousness field since 1971. So in recent years, we've all been hearing about the global shift, the shift more into a heart-centered life, and the change that's going on on the planet. But it's interesting that you've been involved in it back since 1971 and that you foresaw that this was coming. Can you tell us about your journey into this heart research that you share with us? First of all, Gene, you're making me sound old. <laughs> I was there too, Howard. I gotta, I'm a young and hard person, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it goes back a long way. As a young man around age 21, uh, became interested in personal and spiritual growth. At, at the time, I was actually in a very different you know, field, a very, very different part of my life. I was a young rock musician, a drummer, and uh, did that for a living for a very long time. But back in those days, you know, there were people that were interested in spiritual things. I met some of them, and I was introduced to various books, uh, you know, things like Autobiography of a Yogi, which was like a very important book for a lot of people back in those days kind of the first time that Eastern philosophy was you know, being presented to us in the West in ways in which we could really uh, grasp it and begin to understand it. But there, were, there was a spiritual movement beginning to unfold back in those days, but there were a couple of realizations that I had back then that guided my life really ever since. One of those is, as I looked at life, I began to see that what it appeared to be was that life was about continuous growth. That's what it was. It was about an evolutionary process of continuous growth, and everything in the world, including its, and especially nature, was really all about that. But at that time, I dedicated my life to saying it's got to be about growth for me, always about growing, learning, changing, expanding consciousness, being a better man. And no matter what I do for a living or who I'm partnered with or where I live or any of those things, what has to be at the core of this, what has to be the driver of it all is the continuous growth process. The second realization, which relates to the first one that I had, was that life is about service, and it should be about service for me. Uh, whether I wanted that or not, being a very self-centric rock musician, uh, I couldn't deny the fact that in some way life had to be about service. So today, you know, many, many years later, over 40 years later, um, I continually do everything I can every day to be that better man than I can be. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. 
uh, and I'm in a position where I am of service, I believe, being um, having the, the honor and privilege really to be an executive at Heart Math and to have uh, opportunities like right now in this moment to be in a public forum where I can share the things that are uh, most important to me in hopes that it touches the hearts of another. So previous to this time, we had pockets of people uh, studying consciousness and bringing messages such as yours, uh, the Woodstock era and a few pockets of time. But now what we have is more people on the planet recognizing the importance of consciousness and the role we play in it. Uh, and many people are being prompted into learning more about it and being more interested in it by the the difficult times we find ourselves in. So do you find that as well, Howard, that you have more and more people gravitating to this message, wanting to make a change and be a part of it because of the times we're living in? I sure do. It's, uh, we live in an unprecedented time, actually, when more change is happening in a, in a shorter amount of time than ever before in the history of, of, of humanity, maybe the history of the world. And it, there are many, many millions of people all over the planet that are coming into a new understanding uh, within themselves about who they are, about what this is about, how they relate to the, to the world, how they relate to reality. All that's changing and morphing very quickly. We are in the process of what I characterize as a dimensional shift in consciousness, consciousness being the, the field of information that we draw upon to create our sense of reality. That consciousness field is changing. It's providing new information and new input. As we attune to that and we access it, we begin to change our perceptions on things. Our values change. Our approaches to things change. Many, many things are changing right now. In the outer manifestation of that, a lot of the systems that are in place are being sort of confronted by the new, and they're not working like they used to. So we see a constant state of friction is happening, whether it's wars that are breaking out or systems like the economic systems or healthcare systems or things like that that are under severe stress and, and, and in many ways breaking down. Those are just examples of a new world birthing itself right in the midst of the old one. And as that new world pushes against the edges of the old one, you can see that and feel that friction. That's also happening inside of us. And I think for many people, uh, including me and probably for a lot of the listeners right now, they feel the stirring inside. And things are coming up for people where they know they need to make some changes, where they know they need to push a little harder to grow in certain areas. Some of the ways that we've been doing things in the past don't seem to be working as well as, as they used to. All these are signs of change. That can be at times a bit disconcerting. It can create an anxiousness in people. It can create a sense of hopelessness in people as they look across the global stage and see all the chaos and conflict. What's really happening, however, is just an evolution in consciousness. So it's really a good thing that's happening. And as we learn to begin to, to adopt that perception of it and then attune to that and to find a flow with it, we actually accelerate in consciousness rather dramatically. And the changes we can see in ourselves and the changes that we'll see in, in the world are going to be magnificent, and I'm a very hopeful person about that. I know many people have a hard time believing it, but I'm extremely hopeful, and I do believe that things are moving right where they need to be and that we're right on track in terms of creating a new world that would be very unlike the one we live in today. So you've described it, and many people do, as a dimensional shift from the third dimension to the higher fourth dimension, so a shift in vibration. So what changes do you think we're headed toward experiencing, and how will we live differently? It's happening now, but what, what are we headed toward, in your view? Well, here's my generic answer for that, because I get asked this question a lot. So I had to ponder it and come up with an answer that, you know, that was authentic and genuine to me. So the answer I have to your question is, I don't know. <laughs> All right. That's an <laughs> honest answer. I don't think anybody knows right now, and the reason we don't is this. It's a good reason. What, what is coming about now is something we've never seen before. 
a lot of times when we try to predict what the new is going to be, the best we can do is, is to see it from the perspective of what we have today with new clothes on it. But what we're going to be experiencing is something we've never experienced before. So the world can be operating in ways in which we just have never been able to imagine. An analogy I sometimes use is to say that if someone walked up to a person sitting on a horse and buggy, let's say in 1880 or something, and said, you know, there's going to be new transportation systems coming, you know, uh, the person on the horse and buggy probably starts envisioning a better buggy or a different kind of horse. But they can't see the airline industry. Right. It's beyond their reach of perception to, to imagine an airline industry. And I think that's kind of where we are today. But I do think that the world we're going to be creating is going to be one that works with a very different set of rules. And the psychological underpinnings that guide us and direct us are going to be very, very different. It will be more harmonious, I'm sure. It will be much more cooperative. Uh, new intelligence, including an access to more intuitive intelligence, will be emerging uh, very, very quickly now offering solutions to many of the problems that are dawning, that seem dawning to us today. Well, we don't see a solution. The solutions are actually there. We just can't see them yet. But the new intelligence is emerging very quickly that will allow us to see those, those changes. I think things like business are going to be very different. Um, I don't think business will be based totally on, you know, uh, on profit or on uh, taking something from another to, to gain something of value for oneself. I mean, these are just paradigm shifts that are almost unimaginable. But I think that in a relatively short amount of time, uh, and I don't have a crystal ball to lay out a time frame, but I would say just estimating that within 50 to 100 years, uh, the world that we see today is going to look you know, archaic, to be kind. Uh, there will be a different one in place, and we'll look back at the way the world functions today, and we'll, we'll see it from a very, very different view. And the new one we'll have will be a, a one that where I think we can uh, – coexist and take care of each other and prosper and grow and get beyond survival in a way that we've never been able to imagine before. Many people are aware of the shift happening now and they're participating in creative, creating positive change. And then many are asking what is happening and what can we do about it? And your work at Global Coherence Initiative and the Institute of Heart Math is really instrumental in what people can do about it. So in your book, Heart Math, uh, the Heart Math Solution, you outline, um, scientific research into the power of the heart, many of which uh, was not known prior, prior to now. So can you explain for us what heart intelligence is and how it can change our lives when we access it? Yeah, sure will. I mean, that's the, that's the heart of heart math is an education on heart intelligence. You know, this, this whole understanding of heart intelligence began to happen to, for me at a very young age, and it happened because of Doc Childry, the man who is the founder of heart math and is the chairman of heart math today who's been my, my dear friend and my mentor now for over 40 years. But back even then, as young men, and Doc is only four years older than I am, but it was obvious to me you know, when I first got to know him that he had an awareness that certainly embraced mine. And he talked about heart in ways I'd never heard it talked about before because the characterizations of heart to that point were, were, were good. They were wonderful. They were in everything you read, but they were soft. They were about, you know, a very soft and gentle type of a thing about love and care and peace. And all those things are important. But Doc acknowledged all that, incorporated that in his understanding of heart. But he also brought in the fact that it was a high-speed, intuitive intelligence. It had a quality to it that gave us the ability to do the things that we usually can't. It was the core of our authentic self. It was that place that we go to to find our self-security. It was way more than just a soft sentiment. And I've learned that that's really true and that I've learned that there's an intelligence there that operates sort of in a different bandwidth. I'll use it that term. 
than just the normal logical linear intelligence we normally operate in. It is more intuitive. It allows us to see into things differently. It encompasses the whole. It gives us the ability to make choices with more discrimination that lead to a higher level of fulfillment or positive outcome. All of that is there. It exists in all people. We all have it inside. So at HeartMath, we, we didn't invent heart intelligence. It's already there. What we have done and what I'm proud of the organization having done is we gave it new language and we were able to put it in a context that made it more modern and made it more approachable and took it out of the sentiment and philosophy that had been sort of captured in for a long time and allow us to put it in the daily living where we need it the most. To accomplish that, to build that bridge from the empirical side into the emotional side and the spiritual side, we utilized science. We recognized early on that if we when we, when we formed HeartMath, you know, we, we said we want to have a system that we can take into the world that can help facilitate people through the changing times that are coming and all that. If we didn't have some way of, of doing it differently, it would just be another heart thing out of California. And it would not have impact in mainstream America. So the bridge builder or the translator that we use is science. The science that we've done, and it's a huge body of scientific research now that's been conducted by Dr. Roland McCready, uh, director of research here, and his wonderful team uh, of scientists. But really, we never wanted to take the heart out of heart by, you know, by making it scientific. But we felt it needed a groundedness. It needed to be solid. It needed to have that bridge so that we could believe in it. One of the things that I've said in, in other interviews is that, you know, to me what the science did for us is, and for people is that it gave the mind the ability to go ahead and let go and believe in the heart. Right. It was satisfied with the science. The science is a part of heart math and a part of global coherence initiative and everything we do, all the, all the way down to the technology we developed you know, to help people develop heart intelligence, the M-Wave technology. All that is, is underpinned with, with scientific research, and that's given us you know, our own unique place within the, the movement, so to speak, of the shift. It's also given us the ability to move into very mainstream parts of society. I'll give you one example, and there are many, but one example is that right now one of the, the larger training initiatives that we have where our people are spending a lot of time is actually in the U.S. military. Wow, what work is being done there? Well, we, we do coherence training for military on one side. We're, we're preparing soldiers for operational readiness. We're giving them coherence-building skills to better regulate their emotions, to make better choices when, when they're you know doing their job as, as military personnel. Uh, that's on one side. On the other side, through the behavioral medicine side, the psychological side, we have a large initiative going on with over 50 VA hospitals and, and uh, military medical centers around the country helping returning soldiers. Uh, they come back from you know, places like Iraq and Afghanistan, helping them with PSDD and integration back into society and things like that. And there are many initiatives like that, whether it be in healthcare, education, business, and those areas that we work in uh, here at HeartMath as well. The military, I'll bring up just as one example to say that you can have a heart-centric approach and you can apply it in something like the U.S. military. You language it in a way that that can be understood and you support it with science and then it can be accepted. If it's just, hey, we're all about love, we all need to meditate on our hearts, it only goes so far. Right, and I know that one of the main questions that the Institute of HeartMath addressed was the one of the main questions it asked was, does the heart operate under the direction of the brain or does it have a separate intelligence? And you found that it has a very powerful intelligence, and that's what your work is based on, right? That's right. And to give it that empirical understanding, we had to look at it from a physiological perspective, and that's where the, the research began to focus in the initial, initial days. It's like 
is the heart doing more than pumping blood? Is it, is it doing uh, different kinds of jobs? And we found that there was research scattered all through the research literature that had never been put together, really, that almost no one knew about, that showed that the heart, in fact, did have uh, the ability to do more than pump blood and that it was an information processing center in our bodies. Our researchers took that much further, did their own research, and then put the, the pieces of the story together to create you know, a very coherent understanding of the heart as an information processing center sending information to the brain and to the rest of the body. And they put it in language that someone like me, who's not an official scientist, can then take and understand and then be able to explain to others. So that's a big step, and that was some, one of the things I think that we're most famous for. We're certainly more than science here at HeartMath, but certainly that scientific piece uh, has been very, very valuable to a lot of people. Currently, there are over 6,000 books in print that are citing heart math. Hmm. And a lot of that's the scientific research. A lot of people use our scientific research to begin to support their own understandings or their own beliefs. Uh, one time in an interview, I was asked by the, by the host, you know, what was heart, heart math's major contribution to the world so far? I didn't have a, a, a standard answer for that. The one that popped out was, we have validated other people's belief systems through our science. Right. So prior to this, as you said, people thought of it as a nice idea, but not really applicable. And nobody knew how to do it. No one was shown how to do it. People were told, follow your heart. But it was just a nice idea that nobody knew how to actually do. And what you've done is proven that there is power in that and then also given us tools on how we can do it in our daily lives. Yeah, life-changing tools, you know, things that have just changed hundreds of thousands of people's lives in this 21 years we've been doing this. And the tools are designed to be simple. Simple doesn't mean that they're not useful. Let's take an example. I mean, um, you could take something like, let's say, a um, you know, crowbar. It's a piece of metal with one end bent up. That's pretty simple, right? Well, that crowbar can help you move the rock that's in the road in front of your car that you can never move with just your hands. So you get down the road and keep on going where you need to go. And it's that way with our tools. The tools are relatively simple, but they work. They're powerful. They change lives. They change consciousness. They improve things like our performance, our health, and our relationships. And one thing I'd like to mention is that we're not going to be able to cover tools and techniques, you know, hardly at all in our, our call today. But for people that want to learn heart math, we have something called the Heart Mastery Program which is where you can learn it from your own home through um, listening to the classes that we've recorded and then participating in live discussion groups and there are workbooks that go with each class and things like that, and it's at heartmastery.com. The reason I bring that up is that if I say something today that, that inspires someone and they want to know more about unfolding their heart intelligence, I think it's important that they know that there are resources that we do have that someone who's listening on your show today can, can get to. Uh, we designed Heart Mastery so it could be accessible from anywhere in the world, and that's why it's appropriate, I think, for an audience like what you have, Jean. Yes, exactly. And you do have a process. I know people are really curious now. I know there's a process that you would like to share with us today, and I think everyone would love to hear it, uh, a technique for how we can access our heart intelligence. So can we do that now? You know, I'll give you one of the very simplest of heart math techniques. Let me, uh, let me introduce it by saying it is simple. It's something you can do anytime, anywhere. You can do it with your eyes open and your eyes closed. It does shift your physiology so that the communication taking place between heart and brain and body does change for the better, which gives you the ability to better regulate your emotions, to be able to, to, to see into things, to discriminate things, make decisions, etc. It's called a quick coherence technique, and there are just three steps 
uh, and uh, if you'd like, I can take you and the listeners through those three steps right now. Yes, that would be great. The first step is called heart focus, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like to sh- you to shift your attention right to the area in the center of your chest, the area of the heart. You might want to feel as if, you know, so the energy is moving down out of your head, like taking an elevator down a few floors right into the area in the center of your chest. Okay. Second step is called heart-focused breathing. I'd like you to breathe naturally and normally, but just a little bit deeper than you normally would. And as you do this, I want you to pretend as if your breath is flowing in and out right through the center of your chest. So take some breaths like that, a little deeper than you normally would, and pretend as if that breath is coming right in and out where you have your focus in the center of your chest. This is called heart-focused breathing. Now I want you to continue with your heart focus and your heart focus breathing, and we're going to go to step three. I'd like you to feel a positive emotion. Try to feel maybe the appreciation you have for the good things in your life. Or possibly feel the love or the care you have for someone in your life. Positive feeling can be something like just a good old sense of well-being, like, hey, life's okay, everything's really all right. Whatever it is, just try to find a feeling, make it a gentle, easy-does-it process. Feel that feeling, maintain your focus in the area of the heart, and continue with your heart-focused breathing. This third step is called heart feeling. Remember, you can continue to do this throughout this, this, the call or the show, throughout the rest of your day. A simple process, heart focus, heart focus breathing, heart feeling. As you do this, your physiology is changing. You're shifting the quality of communication going from heart back to brain. Brain function is critically dependent upon signals coming from the heart, and you're giving the heart uh, a more coherent signal to send to that brain. And that there are a lot of benefits to that. It eases the stress in your system. It begins to open you up to more intuitive understandings, intuitive bandwidth. gives you the ability to navigate life differently and certainly in a more fulfilling way. So a very simple process and just the simplest of heart math techniques, but one that people can take with them uh, after our show and apply in their lives. And I feel very heart-centered right now from doing that process. I did attend your uh, seminar at the Unity Center in San Diego about a year and a half ago, and I learned this process. And I've been using it ever since. And I was struck by how simple but profound your teachings were. And simple is what people are going to do and what they're going to use day in and day out and what's really going to work. And also the, the amazing scientific research you had. You had graphs showing the coherence of the heart and how it can change with a simple process like this. That's right. And we even did it live, didn't we, with a demonstration of the M-waves, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of the M-wave, I want to let people know that we do have uh, several tools that the Institute of Heart Math is providing at a special discount for Wisdom Show listeners today. You can find it at thewisdomshow.com under special offers. It includes many, many uh, programs, uh, too many to name here, webinars and techniques. And then also for an additional 
discount, you can purchase the M-Wave, and you'll see it when you click on that special offer. Howard, can you describe for us the M-Wave, the technology that it is, and what it does, and how people can use this? Yeah, let me set it up by saying that, you know, when we did our scientific research, we understood that when when we reached a certain point where the quality of communication between heart and brain and body was optimal, we entered a state called coherence or heart coherence. Heart coherence state is not a sleepy time state. It is relaxed in many ways, but it's also very engaged with life. And in, in trainings like we do in the military, we're teaching these military personnel how to increase their heart coherence. Heart coherence can be measured by looking at changes in what can be generically called our heart rhythms. Rhythms are different than heart rate. Heart rate is just the speed. The heart rhythms are the timing between heartbeats, and that changes all the time depending upon what we're doing and what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And so um, what the M-Wave does is it actually measures the degree of coherence taking place inside one system. Uh, it measures heart rhythms, shows you those heart rhythms in real time, and then scores those heart rhythms for the degree of coherence, meaning that we've defined three ranges for the user, low, medium, and high. Low is normal. It's not bad. Medium is much improved. High is a super organized, synchronized, high-performance place that we get into inside with heart, brain, body, all that synchronizes. So the M-Wave comes in two forms. It's a little handheld unit called the M-Wave 2, about the size of a cell phone. Uh, it measures coherence with an ear clip that you clip onto your ear and plug into the M-Wave. It changes, a light changes on top of the device from, from red to blue to green depending on your coherence level. There's software that comes with it. You can upload your data and see it and see what the session looks like. The other is M-Wave Desktop, which is the computer-based version. It has the ability for you to see the full graphic, uh, you know, representation of your heart rhythm patterns, the coherent scores, a lot of other things. There's games you play in it, and a lot of things like that happen with inside the um, the, uh, the the M-Wave software. It has an ear clip too that that you could clip on that. It just plugs into the USB connection on your computer. So the M-Wave has been a big deal here at HeartMath. It's changed the landscape for us in terms of our business. Uh, we've had a, a version of it of one kind or another since the year 2000, and these have been sold all over the world in 87 different countries now. They're used by many, many people for a variety of things, uh, things like health improvement, psychological improvement, sports performance. I mean, Olympic athletes, some of the ones you're seeing on TV now, have been trained with M-Waves. Uh, it goes on, business, education, a lot of applications. One of the best applications and one of the ones I think it's used the most for is actually in our spiritual practices. It's, it can help us to stay in a certain place inside where we get a certain kind of feedback that allows us to make the most use of the times that we have for things like our meditations and our prayers and things like that. It's, it is, you know, people are going to ask, is this like biofeedback? Well, the answer to that is it's heart related, not mind related. So it's not like traditional biofeedback, but it is giving us back information from what's happening in our bodies. The way I use my M-Wave most is in my morning uh, preparations. When I sit down for my 10 or 15 minutes that I have in the morning to really get, you know, co as coherent as I can and as synchronized as I can before I start my busy day uh, and go out into the world and do what I do. And, um, I use it for about, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, it has audio tones that let me know if I'm in low, medium, or high coherence. 
And what I find is I can start out with a great intention of I'm going to put out more love and care into the field environment now and prepare the field environment for the business activities and meetings I have today. And then I'm suddenly not hearing a medium or high coherent sound. <laughs> so what I recognize is I'm off playing in the meeting or something, you know, or worrying about it, you know. Right. So it keeps me honest. And it's just a great way to add something to my spiritual practices that uh, that does you know, increase the effectiveness of what I do within the time frames that I have to do it in. Right. So people can use this and monitor. So they use the heart math techniques to get into heart coherence and then actually can, can see how coherent they are and then work on improving that if it's not going to the highest level they'd like and then most efficiently use the time that they're spending in the heart space. That's right. What um, results have you seen in your life, and do you see in other people's lives? I know that you've talked about it helps in decision-making and health and uh, productivity. How has it changed your life, and how is it changing the lives of people around the world? Well, I've gotten a lot better looking. <laughs> that would that would really sell very quickly. Absolutely. I've actually reached a point where I'm too good looking for my height. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, a wonderful benefit. No, it's changed my life dramatically. I couldn't be doing the things I do today. I mean, you know, it's just immeasurable the changes that have been for me in terms of what what is given me. And uh, for people in general, I think they find more of their own true empowerment, their own self security, and that manifests in different ways. I could get into all the health benefits and changes and things like you know heart arrhythmias and blood pressure and all the psychological changes that people have had that have overcome things like anxiety and depression there's thousands of cases like that that we have have people report to us here at heart math i think overall it's allowed me to become more sensitive to the intelligence of my heart and given me the ability to follow it better and when i follow that and when i make my decisions that come from there and I make those consistently over time, life continues to get better and better and better. I'm a very lucky person uh, to be able to do what I do today and to have an opportunity like right now to be speaking with you, with people listening around the world about the things that are most meaningful to me. I cannot take that for granted. That is exceptional, in my opinion, to have that opportunity. And most people don't have that opportunity. Very, very few, tiny, tiny percentage would really be able to have a job like mine and to be able to do what I do. And for that, I'm very grateful and appreciative. And if I look back at my life and say, you know, what did I do to get here? It was that I did the things that we've been talking about all along in our program today. It's really been about um, learning to listen to and follow my heart, but taking it out of the old association with that and putting it into a much more modern and dynamic characterization. People around the world are experiencing it, too, and they're using heart math in a variety of ways to reinforce what they're trying to accomplish. One of the coolest things, Gene, about heart math, the way it was structured and the way Dr. Childry, you know, directed that structure, it was never set up to be looked at as competitive. We always saw ourselves as a friendly facilitator of what other things people were doing to improve their lives, never to be in competition with other things. So heart math, to do heart math and to practice heart math or learn heart math, see things like our heart mastery courses, things like that, it doesn't mean you're replacing what you already do that works. A simple way of saying it is what I found, and I think it's true for most people, is when you add heart to something, you don't lose anything. You just right. add something extra to the, to the whole process. So we're not competitive with whatever people are doing. Uh, listeners that are listening now that have spiritual practices, whether they're meditations or things that they do, affirmations, intentions, people they study with, all of that, uh, I applaud you for your efforts and your work and what you've done to improve yourself. 
heart mass is just there as a, something that you may want to take a look at that can can maybe add something to your life or help you with the, the things that you already do to make them even better. And that's the way we've always seen ourselves and the way that we've uh, always tried to structure what we put out into the world. I want to mention we're grateful for what we're learning from you today. And I noticed that there are many techniques out there that now incorporate using the heart. So, again, it's not competitive. It's just adding to a lot of other techniques out there where people are saying breathe into the heart. And I know I initially learned that from heart math. So that is spreading quite a bit. And I want to mention people can call in with questions about the global shift, about heart math. For Howard Martin, the number is 619-324-7283. That's 619-324-7283. And Howard, you mentioned gratitude and competition. And those are important points as we get more into the heart intelligence, aren't they? As far as that gratitude is essential and moving away from competition, is important in this time as well. Yeah, and they're both heart-related things if you think about it. You know, gratitude, appreciation, they're, they're kin to one another. You know, there, there's levels and layers of these things that we've that are unfolding now. It's sort of like we know these things, but then this, they're taking a turn on the spiral. We, we, we're hitting points now, I certainly have, and I think a lot of people have, and more will be soon, where we can learn to appreciate in a different way. We see more things to appreciate. Our appreciation is deeper. We have the ability to appreciate things even when they're not going our way. And that's the power of appreciation. As far as the competition thing goes, wow, that's one of the big paradigm shifts that's happening. You know, the world, the consciousness is moving towards much more of a cooperative model rather than a competitive model. Yeah, there's kicking and fighting going on as we get there. But we're finding more and more that we don't win by competing. We win by cooperating. One of my good friends is Greg Braden, and um, many of the listeners probably know some of about Greg's work. He and I were just on a big webinar together just last night with you know, 3,000 people registered. So there's a lot of interest in the kind of things that he talks about as well as you know the work here at HeartMath. But one of the things he talks about is, is the scientific research and the whole evolutionary process that he lays out where it's being shown and proven that you know the world works on cooperation, not on competition. And that for a certain time period, we've kind of had it wrong, but it's only a short amount of time, historically speaking, uh, in the existence of our world, that the world really operates on a, on a cooperative model, not a competitive model. And I think we're moving back to that, not only back to something that already exists, but we're moving to an evolved state of that. And that is part of the shift, is the emergence of cooperation rather than competition. Right, and uh, Greg appeared on the Wisdom Show last week, and we spoke about that very subject and competition. Yes, and how uh, we are moving away from that. So, are you sensing that, Howard, in the world since you've been involved in the consciousness movement for a long time, and you've been involved in this work since the '90s with Heart Math and Global Coherence Initiative? What were you seeing then, and where are we now? Are we going in the right direction? We're definitely going in the right direction. It's emerging. It's happening really, really, really quickly. Um, yeah, there's a lot, lot left to be done, of course, and, you know, many, many problems that we face today that we have to find solutions for. But the movement is headed in a very positive way. In other words, here's the way I see it, Gene. The shift that's happening whether we like it or not. Uh, it isn't just about us. It's not about people. The shift is about something much larger than just us as human beings. It's a shift in the planet itself, for starters. But that's just even the beginning. It's a shift in in consciousness that, to me, reverberates through the entire cosmos. We play a part in that. We have our role in it, and we are exposed to it. But the shift is a big, big thing. It's a matter of how hard or how easy is it, are we going to move through this. 
part of the, the, the care that I try to put out to the world is to make it a kinder, gentler process because it can be hard. But the change is going to go down one way or another. And so old systems, they rebel against that, and they find that the backwash gets you know, harder and harder uh, on, on, on things. We see that happening all the time. So when people try to go at life, the raw ambition, I'll get what I want, and don't matter what it, you know how I get it or what it does to somebody else. Yeah, sometimes I see the people get what they what they want. They may achieve the goal, but I'm telling you, I see more and more now that it's not providing fulfillment, and I also see that more and more it is simply not working. It backfires. Sometimes 180 degree difference in what was intended comes back. When, we, when people approach life just from going at it through their own ambition without consideration and cooperation with others. Another thing I would say about it is that some of the, the problems that we face today, like around, let's look at in resources, whether it be water or food or you know, clean air, any of that, that, that sort of thing. Some of the changes that are occurring you know, in, in the climate, et cetera, are actually forcing us to consider cooperation. Right. So there's a forcingness that's happening. I see it everywhere. And the, co- the cooperation model is evolving very quickly, even if for nothing, no other reason, out of necessity. Right. And that's what is shifting a lot of people toward the heart and toward the desire to help the planet is because they realize that there are a lot of problems, that, as you mentioned earlier, the old ways are not working, that we need new solutions, and that in our own way we need to contribute to the greater good to solve the problems. And people are really, really sensing that. Also, I wanted to talk about the Global Coherence Initiative because um, you've done studies um, in the electromagnetic fields of the Earth and how they're affected by the heart. And I remember in your presentation you mentioned that you had a dramatic shift right after 9-11. Can you talk about the, the studies you're doing around the world and then what you found so far? Sure. First of all, like everyone is listening, if you can, to write down a URL. It's GL Coherence, C O H E R E N C E dot org. GL Coherence dot org. What that will do when you have a chance to go there is take you to the Global Coherence Initiative website. The Global Coherence Initiative is a project or, a, you know, sort of a separate wing of the Institute of Heart Math. It's a membership organization where membership is free. Uh, you simply put in you know, your email address and your password, and you become a member. And it's designed to bring people together around the world in heart-focused care and intention uh, to unite people, to facilitate a shift in global consciousness from the instability and discord that we see today to more of that balanced cooperation and enduring peace that we want and that is emerging. We have about 46,000 almost members now from 87 different countries. Um, it's an amazing project. People are coming together. We're using our heart focus, care, and intention uh, to make energetic contributions to the betterment of the whole and to help facilitate the change in consciousness. There are many organizations, thousands really around the world, that may be doing something similar, and I think that's a very good and important thing. Being that it's heart math, the part that we bring to that party is the science. So what we've done is our researchers have developed very sensitive technology that can measure changes in the fields that the Earth produces, the Earth's energetic fields. The two in particular are what's called the geomagnetic field, which people are, many are familiar with. It's, a, it's the field of energy that a compass measures, for example. Uh, it surrounds the Earth. 
The other field that relates to the geomagnetic field is called the ionosphere. It's less dense. It operates just above the atmosphere and goes about 110, 120 miles up into space. These fields are protective layers around the Earth. Without these fields, no life can exist here. They protect us from incoming radiation, solar rays, cosmic rays, things like that. They are part of our Earth. They are part of the Earth as a living system, just a more energetic part of the Earth. We've been looking at these fields, and we believe that mass human emotion affects them. That's a hypothesis. Other research, and more research unfolding all the time, show that these fields are affecting us. They affect us psychologically and physiologically, and they affect how society functions. So the fields have a relationship to us, an influential relationship. There are also frequencies in this field that are in exactly the same range as the frequencies that we produce in the human heart and brain. So we know that there's an energetic connection at a physics level between us and these fields. So the hypothesis would be if these things are affecting us, we affect them. So our belief is this mass human emotion, whether that be positive or negative emotion, meaning when a lot of people are experiencing something similar, there's a focus of energy that goes out that could be detected in the Earth's fields. Now, that's something we're, we're, we're beginning to do experimentation on. We've developed monitoring sites where we have this technology deployed in places around the world. We're building a ground-based system to look at these energetic fields, which is something that's never been done before. Ultimately, we'll need 12 sensor sites to be able to get a complete picture of the Earth's energetic fields from the ground. Currently, right now, on this call, we have three working sites, one in Northern California, one in the United Kingdom, and one in Saudi Arabia. We have funding right now for several more sites. One will go into New Zealand soon, another in Northern Canada, and the sixth sensor will be placed in uh, South Africa, most likely. Ultimately, we need 12. So recent, that, that data from these sensor sites is inputted back to our labs, and our researchers are studying it. What they see today, we can't say much about, and the reason is is because it's very complex science. We can't just say, oh, we saw the Arab Spring, and we saw changes in the sensor in Saudi Arabia, and that proves it. It's so much more complicated than that and complex. We're doing the research like we always do, very empirically and very carefully. The implications of this are huge. If this proves to be true, what it would say is that all of our thoughts, our prayers, our meditations, all those things we've done all along, the thoughts and feelings we have moment to moment, day to day, put out an energy that can be detected in the relationship with the Earth itself. That is a paradigm shift. So, this, so we can't afford to be doing it from a phenomenalistic perspective. We have to do it very empirically, and that's going to take some time. Now, I'll stop right there, and you can ask questions, and I'll talk about the 9-11 data. Okay. So uh, what you're looking at is uh, an event like 9-11 or an event like a tsunami or some earthquake. What you're measuring is when people's emotions are at a height, how that affects the fields of the earth, and also how as we increase in heart-based care and intention, how that will, will shift the electromagnetic fields of the earth. So you're, you're checking for both. Yeah, well, yeah, we didn't have anything going on in 9-11. What, what we're referring to there is a graph that I show in my presentations, and Greg Braden does as well. Probably some others by now do too. There's another system called, you know, made up of what's called random number generators. It's a guy named Dr. Roger Nelson at Princeton University. He's had these sensors set up around the world for a long time. Random number generators are just little computers that randomly generate numbers and symbols. They spit them out and they use them for statistical analysis research. A long time ago, he began to notice that sometimes the randomness of those random number generators in his lab began to change, and there was no reason for the, for the change to have occurred. 
they began to wonder if in some way, unexplained way, were people affecting those machines. And he set up a network of these sensors around the world, and they've, he's had them for years, and he's been inputting data back to his research labs. He's seen direct correlations many, many times to major things going on in society and changes in the randomness of the random number generators. The one that was the biggest ever, and he's never seen anything close to it since, was 9-11. It went off the chart that day. The random number generator network around the world became a lot less random, statistically way off the chart. And there's no other reason that that could have occurred. Uh, the problem with random number generator research is that the link between how this occurs has never been established. So in other words, nobody knows how a person or people or mass consciousness could be affecting machines, like little computers. They don't know. So there's a gap in that, and that's why it can't be gone, taken but so far. The fact that it occurred is extremely interesting to me. I look at that and I go, oh, my God, this is amazing. Where it gets even more interesting, a little creepy in a way, <laughs> is that the random number generators began to change on 9-11 about uh, two to three hours before the planes hit the towers. Wow. Now that is really, really amazing. It's like, how, could it, how could a machine sense that? How you can know. it? That's the problem. The fact that he's done it so many so many times over and over again in other events like the start of an Olympics or a Princess Diana's funeral, all these different things. There's a whole list of things where he's seen statistically significant changes in the random number generator network correlated with things that were going on that were big-time things happening in society. So the, the fact that the effects are there is undeniable. How they occur, nobody can figure it out. So the research we're doing today would be taking that kind of understanding to the next level. And Rogers on the Scientific Advisory Board, he's a part of this. Again, there's no competition here. He's a part of the project. But we'll be taking things to the next level and really looking at the Earth's energetic field, something that we can measure and something we can make that correlation between in a different way. But that's not, again, something we're going to do overnight. But the sensor sites are there. If you become a member of Global Coherence Initiative, you, you, you go into your My Members page, you can see printouts of what's happening in the energetic fields on a daily basis. There's all kinds of webinars and educational things there as well. Most importantly, you become part of an amazing community of people around the world that are doing their work in consort with one another to put out uh, something in the field that's going to have a benefit on society. One of the places on the site is the, is the care room, global care room. And in there, there's a beautiful globe in there. And when you log in, it marks where you are in the world, not your house, but your IP address, Internet provider address. And it puts a little marker on the globe of where you are. And so you'll see people in there from around the world. And you get this beautiful visual sense that, hey, this is, a, this is an international thing that's going on. I just opened it up right now just to see this time of day. There's not many people there. There's 15 people in there. But I have someone from Greece. Let's see. I'm clicking on the little lights now and seeing where they are. I have someone from uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina. I have someone from Sweden. Someone from Germany. Someone from the Netherlands. And then there's people all around the United States that make up these 15 people that are in there right now. Sometimes it gets into hundreds of people that are in there at one time. So that's the kind of things that you get when you become a member of Global Coherence Initiative, which is one of the reasons that you know I'm doing the show with you today is to let people know about this project so you can become part of this. Let's join together. Let's use the one thing we all have that we all can use, which is the power of our hearts, and make that contribution in consort with others and do um, what we can to make this, this transitional phase that we're in a kinder, gentler process.
And that's my hope for the call today and my hope for the world, really. So the work of Global Coherence Initiative is to further demonstrate the power of the heart. The HeartMath Institute has proven that individually when we're heart-centered, our lives change, and therefore we change the planet. With Global Coherence Initiative, that would be just further proof of how collectively we're all connected and we affect each other. Is that the, the goal that you're aiming for? That's language very well, Jean, very well. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure we're clear on yep. what yes. what it's doing and, and what your work is really, really aiming for in your research. You, you nailed it just perfectly. So for people to become part of the Global Coherence Initiative, um, what can they do? What can people do in their own lives? Going to your website, is, the Global Coherence Initiative, is step number one. But yep. in our day-to-day lives, how do we contribute to this whole process, both at the heart level individually and then in joining the Global Coherence Initiative? What, what could all of us do today when we, when we leave this information that you're, you're sharing with us when we walk away into the rest of our lives? What can we do to facilitate this? Well, you know, there's always a learning process and a learning curve that we all need, and that's where we have the tools and techniques and things like the Heart Mastery Program. And there's a package of things that you're going to let people know about at the end of your program. But really the most important thing, and and I'm not saying those aren't important, they are, and I'm going to recommend that people take a deeper look and take some courses or get some of the things that are offered today. Certainly becoming a member of Global Coherence Initiative is one thing you can do. The main thing we all need to do, I think, is to, to, to make an effort to assign part of our intelligence to learning how to better regulate our emotions. That does not mean suppress our emotions. That means to learn how to make better emotional choices, to make quicker shifts when we find ourselves in discordant emotions back to the ones that we know are more balanced and that feel good to us. It's not easy to do in these times, but it's most important. Emotion is a spirit, is to me the translator of spirit into humanness. When you're involved in as much change as we're involved in today, the emotions can be up and down and all around and very often animated. It's within the ability to learn how to regulate those emotions that we find the next level of our spiritual unfoldment. And as we do that moment to moment, day to day, if I leave here now and go out and get a bad email and let that brew and simmer and all that, I'm not doing anybody, including the consciousness field, any good. If I look at that, find a place in myself to be more neutral about it, uh, find something in it to appreciate, turn it around a little bit and deal with it maturely, then I've made a different kind of, be- con- kind of contribution to the Earth's energetic fields. So it's learning to, to regulate emotions and making the right contributions emotionally to everything that we do in life. And it sort of comes down to, the, to something we've heard before that's been said for thousands of years by so many people, and I'm going to say it again, is that the reason we are here is to love. The more love we put out, the more service uh, we give. And that love you know, has to be as clean and pure as we can make it, unencumbered by all the emotional junk that gets in our way. But just love. And just go out from this call today and find something you know, to care about and love, uh, express some love and some care to someone, someplace, or something. That's the most important thing we can do anytime, anywhere, anyplace during the entire course of our lives. That comes from what? That comes from the heart. So then learning things about the heart, learning how to regulate emotions, learning how to put more of those positive emotions into the field, learning how to love, all that's what we're talking about here. And that's what we do at HeartMath, and that's the resources we provide. But it finally comes down to that for me. It's getting simpler as I get older. And you characterized me earlier on. Having done this for 40 years made me sound old as hell. So, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you are young at heart. 
<laughs> that's it. It's, it comes down to that for me. Uh, if, I, if I'm doing that, then I'm okay. If I'm not, then I'm probably not okay. Right. And I've also uh, read where you've said that um, another piece of advice that you have is that people would regularly ask, what am I feeding into the field of consciousness? So by those, those individual actions, that in turn is feeding into the field of consciousness. That's exactly right. And it, imprint, it imprints that field, and we all draw from that field. So if I'm grumpy and griping and complaining and you know judging and all that sort of stuff about something, then guess what? That's my contribution to the field right now. That field is going to reflect back in some way to me that reality. Uh, and it's also not doing anybody else any good uh, if I'm feeding the field with that. So I try to feed the field with things that I think are, are going to be beneficial to me, but also beneficial to others. And that's sort of you know, the simplistic version of, of how I operate a day and how we all can operate that day. So when I say when this, when this call ends in, in just a few minutes, just put out more love and care in whatever way you decide to express that. That would be the greatest gift that you could give to me uh, for having put my heart into this show and to me the greatest gift you can give yourself in the world. And I just want to touch, uh, touch on the subject of judgment, Howard, because it's so important. And when we think about judgment, um, a lot of your work is really about loving and getting out of judgment. And when I started to realize that, I thought, wow, most of us do not even realize how much time we spend in judgment because it becomes a habit. And it's so powerful and tremendous to get out of the state of judging. Well, it's ubiquitous. It's like the air we breathe. It's everywhere. You know, it's so so much around us we don't see it. Most people don't see it. A tenth of the judgments that they have, most of them go unnoticed or operating under the surface through mechanical patterns. It's okay. I'm not judging anybody for that. I'm just saying that therein is a serious piece of work to be done to begin to minimize judgments. And it's not an overnight thing. It's it's a it's an ongoing thing that will last the rest of our lives. And that's just the way it works. Uh, so it isn't bad. Judgment's there. We don't want to judge ourselves because we would, because we felt judgment. Um, but what we want to do is um, is learn to take it down a notch and try to minimize it as best we can, so that we can um, have a different life and a different contribution to the world. And also, not judging ourselves as much is included in that, right? That's right, especially ourselves. The last thing I'd like to say in our show today before you talk about the offer is that one thing that I'm stressing to people right now is to please be kind to yourself. Please have more compassion for yourself. These are, these are times that can be difficult because of the speed of change. Recognize you're a good person doing the best you can. Give yourself some latitude and some respect and some compassion, and be gentle and kind to yourself. That's something that I'd like everybody to understand now. Well, thank you so much, Howard, for this tremendous amount of information and tools you've given us in this past hour and for the work you're doing and for the heart, focus, care, and intention that you bring to us and you bring to the world. And we really want to thank you so much for that. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, Howard. We, we enjoyed it tremendously. And for anyone who wants to go deeper into this work, you can... Visit the Global Coherence Initiative website, as Howard mentioned. Also, go to thewisdomshow.com under special offers, and you will see a special Wisdom Show Coherence e-program with a tremendous discount with many tools and websites and more information to go deeper in what Howard has been talking about today. And then additionally, if you'd like to get the M-Wave uh, 2 with Meditation, Prayer, and Self-Help Assistant that Howard was describing earlier, you will find that on the special offer page as well. That is separate from the other package, but you'll also receive 
a great discount. So we want to thank Howard again. We want to thank everyone for joining in with us, for opening to this possibility. And we look forward to joining you next time on The Wisdom Show. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to visit us at thewisdomshow.com for access to archives of previous shows and special discount packages offered by our world-renowned experts. Thanks to InternetAudioHub.com for our state-of-the-art broadcast sound. InternetAudioHub.com is available for all of your Internet audio needs. We look forward to joining you next time on The Wisdom Show.